Welcome to Rising Stars, where Miriam Knight, publisher of New Consciousness Review, interviews exciting new voices in the world of progressive and transformational books, films, and ideas who offer intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us as we celebrate the conscious awakening and explore many expressions of consciousness in action. Welcome, everyone, to Rising Stars. I'm Miriam Knight, and my guest today, my first guest, is Blake Bauer. Blake is an internationally recognized author, counselor, and alternative medicine practitioner who has trained with spiritual teachers, healers, and masters from all over the world. He has studied various forms of Chinese and energy medicine and meditation, and he's integrated the most effective spiritual practices and holistic approaches to health and well-being into his work and teachings. They have successfully guided thousands of people around the world toward greater emotional, physical, financial, and spiritual freedom. Today, we're going to discuss his best-selling book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. Welcome, Blake. Hi, Miriam. How are you today? Oh, I'm so delighted to have you on the show. Uh, we met last in uh, Denver, Yes, and I've been looking forward to speaking with you because I have so enjoyed your book. Um, your book uh, really, it, it took me a while to get into it. And then I came across this quote, suffering exists merely to guide us toward the amazing, healthy and happy lives we're all destined to live. Now, you truly believe that and you make a great case for it in the book. Why did you pick on suffering? Well, that's obviously a very loaded question, but the seed of that, and I guess the roots of that really just go back to the, the suffering that I've experienced in my own life and the, the suffering that I uh, realized I was trapped in as a, a young man after uh, hitting rock bottom after years of drug abuse and alcohol abuse and, and various forms of, of addiction, um, I realized I was quite tortured in my mind and quite tortured in my heart emotionally. And I had, uh, I think like most of us, this innate knowing that life was not meant to be this painful, that I had not come here to suffer, but yet I had not at that time realized why I had come here. Um, so I think deep down, you know, we all have this inner knowing, this instinctual or intuitive knowing that there's got to be a way out of the confusion and pain that represents an unconscious life or a life, I like to use the metaphor, in a maze, you know, where you're constantly running around this maze, the outer world or, mm -hmm. you know, the physical world looking for a way out of the the maze. and through a lot of pain, a lot of us learn hard lessons that, you know, there is no exit out there that, you know, no person is going to liberate us. No teacher is going to liberate us. No material possession is going to liberate us. No drug, no food, no job, no lover. Um, and there, there are most painful lessons, but those lessons I have found are really bringing us back to the aspects of ourselves that we have rejected and never learned how to love. And through, loving them, we can heal the pain that we've created and experienced and, and then unlock this source of peace and 
love and and joy that is intrinsic to who we are and that we you know spend our whole lives looking for and often running from because it's covered up by pain you know so, so many people talk about um self-love and and in fact that is kind of the main main theme of your book but it's really hard to to do uh surprisingly hard to do why is it so difficult do you think well, I think that as children, I know for me and, and then for the, the thousands of people that I've been lucky enough to share this with and witness their journey or their story, um, as children, we learn to uh, reject and deny parts of ourselves in exchange for love, in exchange for security and safety with our parents, with our caregivers caregivers at school or at our religious institutions. And then that progresses into, you know, when we're teenagers socially at school and then in our intimate lives with a man or a woman, you know, with, with a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a partner, a spouse, we learn to, um, you know, internalize what we're really feeling and, and who we really are in exchange for love to keep the peace or to avoid being criticized or to avoid being abused. And so we all live with so much fear. And because we've never learned how to love ourselves, we, we develop this conditional love for ourselves that we learn from the external world with mom and dad, for example, or our caregivers that, you know, we only get the love we need or the attention we need or the support we need if we please the people around us. And then we develop the same type of relationship to ourselves where we only love ourselves if and when we meet some condition in the future. And that future never comes. And we play this sick game with ourselves, which is really just us running from our pain, which is the result from us of us not loving ourselves in the past. So because everybody's doing it, it's a really hard thing to break away from. And because learning to love ourselves and then putting it into action tends to trigger so much for the people around us and brings up both all of our pain and all of our fear, a lot of us prefer to remain secure and comfortable uh, within our relationships or our work situation um, or, you know, in our head, because to be in our heart and be that vulnerable in a world where there's a lot of pain can be very overwhelming for a lot of people. So there's a lot of dimensions to it. But the main thing is that our parents didn't know how to love themselves, so they couldn't teach us. And they loved us conditionally because they loved themselves conditionally. And so we just learned from them and, and have never had good examples in the world of how to do it in a practical way that's not considered airy-fairy or not practical. Uh, but there is a way. And it took me a lot of pain and suffering and, and study and money, you know, and searching to realize that it's really not as complicated as we make it. But, you know, like I said, there's not a lot of effective maps out there. Well, reading your book, I could certainly see the origins of, you know, my own issues in the way that I was parented and the the you feel pretty bad knowing what you know now about how you raised your own children. So children out there, if you're listening, I apologize. <laughs> the thing is, um, we do our best to raise our children to live in this world. And um, how would we go about 
uh, parenting them and and what what Don Miguel Ruiz calls domesticating them to fit in with society without impairing their spirits. Mm. Well, I don't know if it is about necessarily domesticating them to to fit in, but you, they can definitely be themselves and respect you know learn to respect people and and communicate with with kindness and and awareness as they recreate the structures that they're born into. So, you know, maybe it, you know, I think it's less about maybe those external kind of concepts and more about, I think just, first of all, it's everything comes down to, you know, being an example, as you know, you know, the old saying, you know, do as I say, not as I do, Mm -hmm. which never works, you know, and that's (laughs) right. I'm sure you've had many domestic fights with your kids over those types of matters. You know, I think we all have with our parents or our children. And um, I think so one, it really comes back to as the parent, be the example of somebody who is true to themselves, that um, gets to know who they are and to express their emotions with respect and kindness and say, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with nonviolent communication and use phrases such as, you know, I'm feeling this way or I need your help with this or you know, this is really important to me and I need to do this for myself. So as a parent, maybe you're not always pleasing, you know, your partner or your children, but you, you establish that you are your own person and you have your own needs and and your own dreams and the things you need to do for yourself. Um, and then, you know, a lot of times parents can become resentful because they, you know, because they feel that it's their responsibility to take on everything and then they don't ask for help or they have an indirect way of asking for help where they'll say, you know, you don't, you don't care about, me or I do everything for you and you don't do anything for me. And and that's just, you know, resentment, which puts up more walls. And so the way to, you know, heal resentment is to, you know, be true to yourself in the present and then to say, you know, this, I need help with this, or, you know, you're 16 years old. I need you to help me with the dishes. I need you to, you know, help me with the laundry. Um, Instead of, instead of playing the victim or being the martyr. Exactly. And, and that's, Miriam, this is actually a, a, a big part of uh, what I've been writing about lately, which I, I didn't outline as much in the book as I would like to. And I'm actually, I'm probably going to, to republish this book as a, a next edition with a new publisher in the coming months. Um, and I was talking to this publisher about some of these ideas around the fact that we're all very selfish creatures and that that's a very natural part of uh, human nature, and it's actually a part of nature, and, and it's meant to be that way, and that we have all these limiting beliefs and negative beliefs about being selfish, when the reality is is that we are all selfish, but that there's two kinds of selfishness. One is healthy selfishness, and the other is uh, unhealthy selfishness. And I talk about how when someone has children, when we have children, and when our parents had us, that's always a selfish endeavor. It's never a selfless endeavor, even though over time, it seems to become a selfless endeavor. The actual reason that people have children is always selfish because you want to have a family. You want to do better than your parents did. You want to have an expression of your love. You know, sometimes people don't know what else to do with themselves. Often it happens by accident. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Or you just want to feel beautiful or lovable and you get pregnant and then you don't want to get an abortion or you don't want to feel guilty or you believe you're a sinner. So any way you look at it, I can I can bring it back and tell you that having children was a selfish endeavor. And then, you know, it's like no no parent signs up and says, you know, I want to um, for the next 20 years, I'm going to, you know, 
pour my heart out to to take care of these beings and meet their needs and and forego my own to to one day then be taken for granted and then blamed for all of their problems. Mm. You know, nobody nobody signs up for that. Right. Well, Blake, we're going to go to break now. We're speaking with Blake Bauer about his book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. Stay with us and we'll be back shortly. Conscious Media for Conscious Minds. Om Times. As difficult as it is to believe, there are places in Africa where human traffickers sell albino children and their body parts for use in magic rituals. Humanity Healing International is actively working in Uganda to change this paradigm. The Albino Rescue Project finds albino children who are at risk and places them in safe schools and environments where they can learn and grow free from fear. To learn more or to sponsor a child, visit HumanityHealing.org. Humanity Healing is where your heart is. Hello, I'm Miriam Knight of New Consciousness Review, inviting you to my new show where I interview the rising stars of the Conscious Awakening. We'll explore the many faces of consciousness and action and intriguing perspectives on life, the universe, and everything in between. Join us each Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Rising Stars Show. The name is Bond, James Bond. No, the name is Joe, The Joe Show. And we are returning back for our ninth season here on Old Times Radio. So tune in every Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, on oldtimes.com slash mobile. You can take us wherever you go. Yeah! Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. Bringing a more conscious lifestyle to your world. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. And we are back speaking with Blake Bauer about his book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. Blake, before we go on, what is your website? It is uh, unconditional-selflove.com. Very good. Unconditional-selflove.com. We do need more of that. Before the break, we were talking about the difference between self-love and being selfish. How do you draw a distinction? Well, there, the only distinction lies in when we are not loving ourselves, and I would call that unhealthy selfishness. When we're loving ourselves, I would call that healthy selfishness. So we all know how unhealthy selfishness manifests. And I would use examples like when people don't take care of their mind or their heart or their body, and let's say they don't eat right, or they uh, do drugs, or we drink too much, or we're angry and, and we don't follow our heart and we're not happy and we don't communicate effectively. So we're full of resentment. So basically we're self-destructive 
And when we're self-destructive, then because we're not separate from anyone else, we're also destructive to the people around us. So our cup is not full of good things. It's, it's full of toxicity and, and pain and, and other things that we then, that then overflow. And then we hurt other people because we're hurting ourselves. So that's unhealthy selfishness, which is selfishness devoid of self-love. But when you start to really take care of yourself and express your emotions and be true to yourself, which is really how you value yourself and, and accept yourself. And then, and then as you do that, you feel that inside you matter more. You naturally want to take care of your body so you feel better physically as well. You have, you have better energy. Your, your thoughts feel better. Your heart feels better. And then that's what overflows into the world is that positivity, that peace, that joy, that health that you have. And that's healthy selfishness. And, and we all know when people don't do what they need to do for themselves and they become resentful or bitter or manipulative. And that's because they've learned an unhealthy form of selfishness that most of us have learned and have gone through at one point in our, our life if we're not stuck in that still. And then there's this barrier, this line that says being selfish, which is really loving yourself in a healthy way is negative. So then we learn to make ourselves wrong for wanting to do the things that make us feel healthy and happy. So we feel guilty for wanting to go for a walk or we feel guilty for wanting to eat healthy food if the people around us don't want to eat healthy food. When in reality, there's nothing to be guilty or ashamed of in, in desiring that. But we've learned such a toxic and unhealthy relationship to ourselves you know, when we were little kids, based on what we learned from the people around us, that most of us are just trapped in this insecure, guilt-ridden, fear-based relationship to ourselves where we feel like we can't be true to ourselves or take care of our, ourselves in a way that instinctually we know will make us healthy and happy because then we're not pleasing everybody else all the time. Mm. So, <laughs> And the, the other aspect that you brought out so well in the book was that when we please others at the expense of ourselves, we're really doing it as a form of manipulation or a barter for their love to us. Yes, exactly. And so it's, it's, that's, and that's this cycle of conditional love and pain that so many of us know, both with our love relationships with family and our love relationships intimately, because we all have this conditional you know, love for ourselves. And then we relate to other people with this conditional love that, you know, I love you if you behave in a way that's pleasing to me. But as soon as you don't please me or you do something that triggers my insecurity or my fear or my self-judgment or my jealousy, then I don't love you anymore. I actually hate you. And that's not pure love. That's conditional love. And there's no judgment. It's just where we are. But most of us are trapped in, in this vicious cycle. And again, the key lies within in learning how to love ourselves, which heals the insecurity, which heals the self-judgment, and then eventually leads, and I'm and I'm speaking as Miriam, as someone, as a man who I have struggled with so much insecurity and so much inadequacy and never felt lovable. And today I can say I do feel all of those things, and it's been a very hard road, but through learning to love myself and understanding what it means practically day in and day out, I finally feel enough and I feel secure in myself and I, you know, have faith that, you know, the right person, 
the right person as far as a partner will be in my life or the right people will be in my life. And if someone doesn't value me, then I don't really want them around me. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and these are the things that we all are struggling with because we've never learned how to love ourselves. And then we're told that loving ourselves is selfish and that's manipulative because, you know, Miriam, if you and I are friends and let's say you're behaving in a way to please me. So I'm getting something from you because you're compromising yourself to please me. And then as soon as you stop and you go do what you want to do, and I call you selfish, and then you feel guilty and, and then you want to, you know, you, you might kind of a downward spiral. Exactly. So we call, we tell people they're selfish to manipulate them. So if someone tells you you're selfish and for the people that are listening, when people call you selfish, they're manipulating in an unconscious way to get from you what you've been giving to them prior to loving yourself more. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I mean, there, you do find balance over time, you know? And so that's the other thing too, is if, if you've been compromising yourself for a long time, and you then you you realize and you wake up that you've been doing this. A lot of times the pendulum can swing the other way. So you go from a you know like a deficiency in loving yourself to you go to this extreme other side. The pendulum swings all the way to the other side of the spectrum. So you do have this. You tend to have this over. We can tend to have this over energy on being selfish, which does kind of create. It does kind of shake things up for everybody, but that's actually needed and natural to eventually let the pendulum uh, settle in the middle so we can find balance and move forward where, you know, daily we know how to take care of ourselves, but our cup is full and we're also capable of giving daily as well. So, you know, what, what occurs to me as you speak is the notion of truthfulness. Yes. Uh, we know that if we get caught in a lie, we feel terrible. So most of us have been, have you know, gotten out of the childhood use of lies. And um, when you're in integrity, then your relationships are much easier because you know you're not going to get caught out. Now, being um, the the kind of selfless, manipulative victim type is a form of a lie because it's not who you are. So right. you will never feel good about yourself or in or you, you your relationship with others is always clouded by that kind of lie hanging in between you. Yes, and and it all comes back to you're lying to yourself basically, and you are so used to it you know, when we're trapped in that situation, we're so used to lying to ourselves and thus to others because we're so afraid Mm -hmm. of being alone or taking responsibility or, um, you know, not surviving on our own that, you know, we just continue to lie to ourselves and, and, and ignore addressing the issue. And it becomes, it becomes habit. You know, when it's that bad, it, it becomes, when it's that self-destructive, it's habit. And a lot of us are so trapped in this crystallized, uh, self-belief or sense of self. And we're so attached to it because who are we without it? You know, if we haven't had years of getting to know ourselves, we become very scared of letting go of this very toxic, self-destructive identity that we've built up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and then we fight to protect that and we're fighting to protect something that's destroying us. So it's not only learning to love yourself, but learning who you are. Yes. Yes, exactly. What did you find to be the most helpful in learning to love yourself? Well, I'd say there are three, three, if I could distill, you know, I, and, and I spent so much time desperately seeking, I went 
to five different universities. I never graduated. I did all of these professional trainings and studied with various masters only to realize that the whole time I was learning how to love myself. So the, the three keys that um, I like to focus on and are actually the, the foundation of my retreats and my workshops are, for me, mm-hmm. one was meditation. So first of all, learning to train my mind to be in the present because most of us are so trapped in our thinking. And, and, and then that's where all victimhood comes from is when we're the victim of our thoughts. So the victim of fear in particular and the victim of insecurity. So, you know, let's say, Miriam, I want to tell you how I feel, but I'm afraid of losing your love or you beating me up or, you know, reacting or something like that. So if I don't be honest with you, like we were talking about honesty before, then it's really the fear that comes up. And then I internalize what I'm really feeling or what I really want to do. And that's what makes me the victim. So we become the victim of our own thinking. And so for me, the only way to really remedy that was to train my mind so that I could come back to my body and be in my be in, be in my whole body instead of in my head. And then I could learn to observe my thought processes in, instead of being a victim and, and run by them, you know, instead of being dragged around by the wild horse or hundreds of wild horses in my head, that I could retame that mind, all my crazy thinking, um, and just be in my body and breathe deeply and actually start to feel good in my body again. So that was key for me to train my mind so that I was not constantly paranoid or thinking about the illusion of a future or a past or, you know, overanalyzing any, everything or imagining the worst. Um, then the second thing for me was Qigong. I became quite addicted to Qigong after, uh, meditation because Qigong was a way for me to bring my meditation into my movement. And then I learned that Qigong, in my experience, became the most effective way for uh, unlocking stuck energy, stuck blood, and stuck emotion in the body. And I believe all depression and disease and anxiety can be reduced to stuck energy, stuck blood, and stuck emotion in the body. So Qigong became very powerful for me. And now I've, I've taught it to thousands of people because it just works. Um, and then the third thing is to speak and act based on what you really feel in every moment and situation. So we're often very scared. So the idea is that even if you're scared, you still speak your truth, you still act based on that truth, um, and then everything will eventually work out. So those are really the three most important uh, pillars of, uh, of what's worked for me. So it is um, presumably using meditation to... Uh, train your mind using qigong or some kind of energy practice to clear the energy in your body. And yes. then the the third one was simply being in integrity? What? Yeah, yes, exactly. To speak and act in alignment in every moment and situation, even when you're scared shitless. Excuse my language. <laughs> <laughs> it's, like, it's like the four agreements. It's be impeccable with your word. Yes. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Well, I see that we are coming up to another break. And I want to let you know, if you've just joined us, that we're speaking with Blake Bauer about his book, You Were Not Born to Suffer. And his website is unconditional-selflove.com. Stay with us and we'll be back. 
Your Conscious Lifestyle on Steroids. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Are you trying to get from point A to point B and need a little advice? Connect with the counselors at Ohm Times Advisors. Whether you're looking for a life coach or a spiritual intuitive, the advisors participating at advisors.ohmtimes.com were carefully chosen based on their gifts, skills, and professionalism. Ohm Times Advisors. Connecting you with the best advisors in the business. Hi, this is Sylvia Henderson, Intuitive Life Coach and Energy Healer. Are you ready to elevate and rise way above your normal? Be sure to listen to my show, Intuitive Transformations, on Own Times Radio, Sunday evenings at 9 p.m. Eastern. Get the inspiration you need to transform your life. Join Elliot Jolish the business therapist each Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern for the Elliot Jollish Hour as he interviews business experts on your behalf. And you're invited to email your business questions to questions at ecjgroup.com for answers live on air every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Elliot Jollish Hour. Host your show on IOM FM, the radio network of Ohm Times Media, one of the more recognized brand names in the conscious community and is backed by the extensive marketing reach of Ohm Times. Hosting a show on IOM FM immediately connects you with our extensive, dedicated community. Free your mind. Expand your soul. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Blake, there was another um, sentence or two in your book that really caught my attention. You said, if we are honest with ourselves, we'll see that many of us use our spirituality and religion as a means to escape or avoid what's really going on in our own lives. That was so interesting. How did you come up with that idea? Well, I think it's quite, it's quite a loaded topic. I'm a very big fan of John Wellwood, John Wellwood's work, um, and he uses a term called spiritual bypassing. And being involved in various spiritual communities and circles and and schools, you know, you 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 get to experience lots of different approaches and and I guess um, you know people and examples and or lack of an example. And one thing that I began to realize, and one thing I I recognized in myself was that. For a long time, I needed to use meditation to um, to clear my mind, but I at that stage, I didn't have the tools to deal with all my repressed emotions. And then I started to realize that often certain spiritual practices or religious beliefs, so um, just kind of religious maybe rituals, can be used as a way of um, avoiding what's really going on. So... Because, you know, like we were talking about, to deal with the deeper issues of integrity and what you're really feeling or the issues that haven't been dealt with, you know, from your childhood or in your family or in your marriage, you know, a lot of times we can, you know, we might not be happy in a marriage, for example, and we go to yoga classes and we go to meditation classes and, you know, it's, we feel great there. But when we go home, we're not happy or at peace with the situation there mm-hmm. because there's a lot of stuff that we're not dealing with. And it's the same, you know, if you go to church or to synagogue or to temple, you know, a lot of times, you know, you go and you pray to God to help you with your, with your struggles, but still you don't know how necessarily to take responsibility and to deal with them yourself at home. So I, I'm of the mind that we are God in human form, that every human being 
is one with God and God embodied. So I also have seen in my own life and in thousands of others' lives that until you're real, until you're ready to take 100% responsibility, which entails owning your unity with the creator and the universal intelligence, there will always remain aspects of your body, your mind, and your life that you cannot heal until you take that type of 100% responsibility. Because if you are still, if there's still a part of you that you're saying you don't have the capacity to heal, that is somebody else's fault, whether it's your genetics or God or your parents or your spouse, if you're still subtly in your psyche blaming anything outside of yourself, then there's going to remain that part of you that cannot heal. And then equally, as we turn inward, if you're still blaming yourself for that part of you that's not healing, then that's going to be destructive as well. So we just get subtler until we stop blaming others and ourselves, but learn how to go about dealing with these things with love and 100% personal responsibility. So it's a, it's a very big thing because it's a blasphemous idea. And it's kind of like, who are you to think that you are that powerful? And it's not about an ego type of power. It's about the fact that we are miraculous, intelligent beings, one with this miraculous universe. And we, because we're suffering, we don't see ourselves or life as a miracle. We feel like it's, you know, we, it's like just something we have to endure. It's like for a lot of us, it's a prison sentence and we're not, you know, enjoying life. We're in hell. You know, our, our state of mind is hell. Our health is hell. Our marriage is hell. Our finances are hell. So we don't look at life as this this miracle. So we don't look at ourselves as this miracle. But when we can start to recognize the, the miraculous fact that you and I can have this conversation and that we breathe and that, you know, our cells are functioning the way that they do and that, you know, the, how beautiful the sun feels or how beautiful making love feels or, you know, a glass of a nice glass of wine or a good meal or a, a fresh juice or a fresh salad. And we start to really enjoy life. We want more of that. And the only way to get more of that is to take 100% responsibility. And I've found that it entails owning my oneness and our oneness with the creator, with God. Mm. And God is the universe, not the Christian God or the Jewish God or you know the Muslim God, but God is the universe as the you know all the energy and soul and spirit in the universe. When we speak of energy, one of the things that you point out and I think is pretty well known is that thoughts and emotions have a physical impact in our energy field and are translated into our physical body. Absolutely. And um, one of the things that you gave me when we met was your CD about your your DVD on Qigong. Uh, tell us a bit about that because I found it very easy to follow and really quite profound in spite of the fact that it was so easy. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's, it's um, you know, as they say, you know, the, the truth is often much more simple. And I think that, you know, there's this elegance to simplicity. And I think it was Einstein that said, you know, if you know what you're talking about, you should be able to teach it to a, a five-year-old. And that's a physicist. So, you know, I'm of the same mindset. So um, the form of Qigong that I teach is, is on the practical side of the spectrum as opposed to the artistic 
side of the spectrum. And that was always because I wanted to get results for myself. So be as healthy and as happy and vital as possible. But because I was in private practice, I always want, I also wanted to help other people be as healthy and happy and vital as possible as soon as possible. So the practice, the main practice on the DVD opens up all the energy channels and the joints specifically, and takes you logically through every joint and meridian starting with the feet and basically the joints are considered gates through which energy blood and emotion flow and when those gates are closed the energy channels close and so the blood the energy and the emotion are not flowing and as things stagnate that's that's when you start to get the non-physical symptoms like tiredness lethargy chronic fatigue and then depression but then that uh, blood, for example, that's not flowing and that energy that's not flowing over time becomes so stagnant and toxic that the cells begin to coagulate and stick together and create blockages within the circulatory system. And so the toxins aren't being aren't coming out and being released and anything good you're having is not coming in. And then we start to see these buildups when you get a mass or a nodule or a tumor that might have, you know, develop into cancer, for example. So um, this is really, really very important. And then going back to the, you know, the, the concept of our thoughts and emotions being energy, um, it's, it's really quite, um, important to get this. And it's, and it's, again, it goes back to this idea of hundred percent responsibility. I actually just published an article online a few days ago talking about the purpose of depression and disease. And, and in this article, I outline how, uh, when we repress our emotions, it's, it eventually leads to depression and disease. And I outline it very logically. And it's, and it, this article has had over 30,000 hits in, in three days. And it's amazing to watch everybody react to it because it's a lot to swallow that, oh my God, it's been my internal, you know, reactions and internalization of my emotions and my thinking that could have got me here to being depressed and sick. And some people just, you know, inhale it as a, as a, as a breath of fresh air and clarity, and then feel like they have a direction for it. Whereas other people get very angry and critical and, and, you know, say, you know, it's not my fault. I, it's not, you know, I, I, I did not get myself here. And, you know, and again, that mindset then says, well, I can't get myself out of here. If I didn't get myself here, then I can't get myself out of here. And I continue, you know, to give my power away. But uh, when I teach live, I normally break this down. And I did this in this article, which is a 40 year old person. So someone who's been alive for 40 years old, and let's say that person sleeps for eight hours a day, every day. So you get eight hours of great sleep for 40 years. So that means you're awake for 16 hours a day for 40 years. That person has been alive and awake. So not sleeping, but awake for 840 million moments. So if you're 40 years old, you've been awake. So this is including eight hours of sleep a day. You've been awake for 840 million moments. So this is a moment right now, you know, a second a mm -hmm. second, a moment. And in every moment, we're feeling something and thinking something that's connected to what we feel and need and want. And most of us are internalizing those energies in most moments of the day, you know, having this conversation in our head about the job we don't like, the partner we're not happy with, the body we don't feel good about. And we're just keeping so much of this in. So after 
all these moments of all these days, of all these weeks, of all these months, of all these years, and then we're finally clinically depressed or we finally have an autoimmune disease or we can't get out of bed or we have cancer and we think, where did it come from? This is how it's been building for years and it's just a slow death. And we know it because our soul and our heart has been slowly dying because we haven't been happy or fulfilled or known, you know, who we are. Um, and, you know, again, going back to Chinese medicine and, and Qigong, basically, you know, one of the premises of Chinese medicine is that the, the, the blood in the body follows the qi, the blood flow follows the energy flow. So the best example I use is obviously the heartbeat, the energetic pulse of the heart causes the blood to flow. You go for a walk and you move your body that causes your blood and your energy to flow. So when you're internalizing emotion, that energy, and we all know that emotion is energy because when you're angry, you know you're angry. Or if you're excited, you know you're excited. And so when you hold all of that in and then when you don't take action based on what you really feel passionate about, you're also stifling the flow of energy, which again stifles the flow of blood. And then over all those millions of moments, you know, so if you're 50, you've been alive for over a billion, you've been awake for over a billion moments. If you're 30, you've still been alive for, you know, 500 million moments. So by not speaking and acting based on your truth in all those little moments, mm -hmm. we've made ourselves sick, but we, and we didn't know. So it's not about judging. It's just about accepting that this could very well be true. So what can I do with it to get myself out of where I'm stuck? Basically. So what is the name of that DVD? It's called uh, Qigong for Self-Love, Self-Healing, and Self-Mastery. And it's over two hours, and it's got organ healing meditations and sitting meditations. And then the core practice is an hour, which you probably have done, that takes you through every joint in the body. And and like you said, it's very simple. So anybody can do it regardless of the state of your body. And you can even do it if you're sitting down and you can just adjust the practices. And, um, you know, unfortunately, Miriam, I'm sure you are aware that Qigong is one of those things that a lot of people don't get to until it's kind of a final straw. <laughs> and then kind of like lot, alternative medicine in general. Yeah. Right. And sometimes it's too late. But a lot of people find more relief from Qigong than they will ever find from anything else. So I went to two different schools for Chinese medicine, and I will never use needles again. I teach people Qigong because in my experience, it's more effective than anything else that exists. And again, you you can learn to do it for yourself, which means, you know, you, you know, you, you know, the saying you give a man or a woman a fish they eat for a day, you teach them the fish they eat for a lifetime. So for me, learning to Qigong, learning Qigong was a crucial key to loving myself and well, to I cannot yeah. I cannot recommend it highly enough. <laughs> so we've been speaking with Blake Bauer, author of You Were Not Born to Suffer. Uh, go to his website, unconditional-selflove.com, and you will find links to all these books and DVDs. Blake, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Miriam. And stay tuned because we're going to be right back with our final guest. Feed your soul with waves of consciousness on Ohm Times Radio. Ohm Times Magazine is one of the leading online content providers of positivity, wellness, and personal empowerment. A philanthropic organization, their net proceeds are funneled to support worldwide charity initiatives via Humanity Healing International. Through their commitment to creating community and providing conscious content, they aspire to uplift humanity on a global scale. Ohm Times, co-creating a more conscious lifestyle. 
to be a better communicator? Do you want to better connect with the important people in your life? Do you want to enrich your relationships? If so, join me, Matthew Cooper, on the Positive Control System Show every Wednesday evening at 11 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Ohm Times Radio. I'll meet you there. This is Terry Van Horn, and I want to invite you to join me for my weekly radio show, Hailing Light, on Ohm Times Radio every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. On Hailing Light, we want to bring love, light, and blessings into your world. You can find out more about us at www.healinglightonline.com. Blessings. Being a radio host on IOM FM allows you to build your show on a rich platform with the power of the Internet to fulfill your outreach goals and connect with a very specialized and global online audience, unlimited by time and distance. Ohm Times Radio will provide you with web relevance, a recognizable conscious brand, and with the standard of excellence that has accompanied every single Ohm Times endeavor. Host your show with Ohm Times Radio Network. A Conscious Lifestyle for a mindful life. Ohm Times Radio. IOM FM. Tim is an internationally renowned medium who has conducted over 14,000 sittings over the past 20 years. He helps those grieving a loss to reestablish ties with those who are no longer with us. A graduate of the University of Southern California and a resident of Orange County, Tim has been embraced by many celebrities, and he's been interviewed and featured very widely on television, radio, and in magazines. His first book, Life and Death, A Medium's Message to Help You Overcome Grief and Find Closure, has just been published in the U.S. and Europe. Welcome, Tim, and congratulations. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for having me. I see that your book came out just yesterday, so um, well done. I really feel so privileged that I get to read all of these way before. <laughs> Thank you, and I'm so blessed that I'm able to have four New York Times bestselling authors who endorse the book, and the, the book's going to be in seven countries um, within about three or four months, so it's really going to be nice to have a lot of healing happen to a lot of the planet all very, very quickly. Well, now, your book really does focus on what you say in your tagline, uh, which is uh, helping you overcome grief. Has grief been the main reason that people come to see you as a medium? Yes. Uh, a lot of people, they haven't found closure through traditional ways, through a therapist or even um, other mediums. And I've done a lot of research with other books that have been written by other mediums and other psychologists. And there's a lot of good, good stuff out there. But I really wanted to take it to the next level. And when I did the book, I actually was going to do it about four years ago. Um, and that was going to be the launch date. And I said to myself, you know what? It's not yet done. I want to make sure that this book... Um, that everybody can read it, you know, no matter what, what religion you're from, no matter what part of the planet you're from, I want a person to open the book and be able to find closure and be able to have some exercises to help them overcome grief. And so the book is really good in, in that regard, Miriam. 
That's what I found so really rewarding about it, because you did go into real detail about things that people can do themselves mm -hmm. to to get over that uh, that depression and oppression of grief. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, I'm um, in the youngest of six kids, in a, and as I said in the book, in a very, very traditional Catholic family. And I always tell my clients out there, you know, for those of you who are Jewish, you know, you guys invented the guilt. We just perfected it. <laughs> but um, the thing is, is that that growing up in my family, there was never any other outsources other than a Catholic priest. And to be honest, you know, half of them in the parish that I grew up in, they just weren't patient. They were rude. I'm like, what's this all about? There's, there's no closure here after a funeral. There's no healing. There's no processing. So, you know, it started out for me going back, like when I was in, in middle school, third and fourth grade. So that was a blessing for me coming from that religion, that family, in order to help a lot of people as I'm doing right, right now. Now, you've had a fascinating path to embracing your abilities. What took you to India to work with Mother Teresa, and how did that influence you? A dream. Um, you know, backing up just for a bit here, um, when I was about six or seven years of age, um, my brother at that time, who was and still is 18 years older than myself, was diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And back in the 1970s, there was never any other solution by taking herbs and taking some pills here and there. Um, there was never any medication like they have, have now. So when he started hearing things and seeing things, I was hearing things and seeing things, but I wasn't seeing the same thing that he was. And, you know, Miriam, I was so afraid. I thought it was literally losing my mind right in front of me. Um, and so I did research on schizophrenia, and they say that, you know, past 21 or 22 years of age, if you don't get it by then, um, you're, you're good to go. And so in my early 20s, when it was my 22nd birthday, I'm like, okay, you know what, I'm not crazy, even though that some of my family members think I am being a medium. Um, but um, that's a whole other story. But going back to early 20s, I realized, okay, I don't have this disease. And so I allowed myself to pay attention to my intuition, to my dreams, to my feelings. And three, four months later, I had the dream to go to India to work with Mother Teresa. And three months later to the day from having that vision in my dorm room at uh, in college at USC in Los Angeles, I found myself in Calcutta working with Mother Teresa for a week and a half, hands-on right next to her. And everything in my dream, and I put that in the book for people to read, everything in that dream came true. And so I realized, okay, I'm not losing my mind. You know, spirit is actually communicating to me with dreams through visions. These things might be something I need to pursue. And then that's when my career as a medium just flourished, going back into my mid-20s, um, shortly after coming back with, with, Mother, with Mother Teresa. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm sure a lot of our listeners can point to dreams, um, psychic hits, intuition, precognitive things mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that they uh, ignored <laughs> to mm -hmm. their regret or um, ju that just scared them because they mm -hmm. didn't feel that this is something that that is holy or or uh, real. Yeah, two things with that, Miriam. Number one, for clients that are listening in, if you are getting impressions, you know, whether of a lost loved one or basically getting those dreams and you're getting those sensations, immediately if you feel scared 
immediately say, if you're not of love, light, or of God, go away. Because you know what? If it's a loving grandparent or if it's a loving spouse who is trying to communicate with you um, and it comes across to us in a scared fashion, we don't want to basically say, go away, go away. But if you say, if you're not of love, light, or of God, then go away. Because once you say love, light, or God, anything that's negative will be dispelled. And if you're starting to still see that image or those images come through still, I say, start connecting with it. Start saying, thank you for showing up. And then ask that energy for help, whatever it might be. What is it in the the sittings that most impress people um, when you give them evidence of of, uh, a loved one? How does that change their grief? Well, then they realize, okay, life does go on. You know, when I do my sittings, then as you mentioned, I've done over 14,000 of them here in the last 15, 18 years now. Um, I'm very, very strict when I do my work. When you book an appointment with me, I just need your first name and your phone number to book the appointment. Just because if I need to cancel, I need a phone number and a first name to call. But when you come in and you sit with me, we do just a two-minute guided meditation. And then after that, I proceed to start to let the client know what I see. With that being said, I don't allow my clients to speak during the sitting. And I always just say, if it makes sense, just say yes. If if it doesn't make sense, say no. I don't want to get any information from the client. I want to get it all from spirit. And I always say to my clients, whenever you go to a medium, the less the medium knows, the better. If that medium is valid, if that medium has the gift, they won't need to ask you, who are you trying to contact? Who are you looking for? When you hear that, run. Walk away from that medium's office or that psychic's office. Um, But when I do my work, um, I have such a strict policy that I don't want to know anything. And we get the validations. We get the images that come through. And at the very end of the sitting, most of the time, the clients say, wow, I cannot believe so-and-so showed up. I didn't even expect this person. I haven't thought of this person, you know, in in, in many, many years. Um, And when that happens, I tell my client, well, if it wasn't on your mind, then it could not be on my mind. But answering your question more fully, it's the validations that come through, things that could not be found out any other way um, that comes in for that person. And sometimes when we do individual sittings, there's a lot of personal things that come up that I'm even very, very embarrassed to say. And do I say them? Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. you know what? I always tell clients that even though that you're paying me to do the work for you, I don't work for you. I work for spirit. They are my true employers. I'm the one that gives them the voice. So if something personal or embarrassing comes through, I have to deal with it. Right. And I know that particularly parents who have lost a child, one of the thing that things that they really want to know is, is that child all right? Mm-hmm. And losing a child is the hardest thing anybody will ever have to go through on this planet. It's more difficult than losing a sibling. It's more difficult than losing a partner or a spouse or even a pet for that matter. Losing a child is the most hardest thing anybody will have to go through. Um, But when that parent comes in and has the sitting, we get the same validations as a person who lost a brother or lost a pet. You know, just yesterday, I'm doing a sitting and I look down at the floor and the lady says, why are you looking at my shoes? And I'm saying, I'm not looking at your shoes. I'm seeing this big German shepherd licking your, your ankle. And I definitely know it's a male by the gender. And I said, what it is is what it is. And she started to cry and she goes, this dog was my dog for 14 years. I just had to euthanize it two months ago. Oh, so, oh. you know, that, that pet was so heartbreaking to that client. And the same thing when a parent loses a child. And I'm not comparing, but I'm saying pain is pain. Losing a spouse, losing a pet, losing a child, it's still loss. It's sure. still grief. 
Um, but to answer your question more clearly, when a parent comes in, it's really that evidence that, okay, this child is okay, or this child is not okay. Sometimes when a child um, commits suicide, sometimes they're still in a process of readjusting on spirit side, and I have to let that client know that. Um, but it's more about the validations that come through. Sometimes a client will come to me and say, you know, um, what, we, what they will say during the middle of the sitting, they'll say, yes, this is my son. Sometimes they'll blurt out, you know, he was murdered. And I'm like, listen, don't bring any information like this. Let's yeah, see what comes yeah, through. Right. And as we figured it out, it, the, that child actually committed suicide. So sometimes the parent gets something or a person gets something that they weren't expecting. Well, clearly we could talk to you all day, Tim. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of the show. I just want to reiterate that the name of the book is Life and Death by Tim Braun. That's B-R-A-U-N. And Tim, what is your website? It's timbraun.net. So T-I-M-B-R-A-U-N as in Nancy.net. Tim, I really want to thank you for, for being with us today and for writing this lovely book. I know that anyone who is experiencing grief of any kind will find great comfort in this book. It's called Life and Death, A Medium's Message to Help You Overcome Grief and Find Closure. And I think it really does um, stand up to that definition, that description. So, Tim, thank you very much. And thank you for having me, Miriam. And thank you for being with us today. I'm Miriam Knight, and I invite you to visit our website, ncreview.com. That's New Consciousness Review. I hope you'll join us next time. Until then, many blessings. Goodbye. Mm-hmm.